Good morning, everyone. Some good acting in that uh, play, huh? <laughs> uh, well, I just want to also personally, I know they went downstairs, but just thank everyone. You know, they, I think they were here also on Saturday and after Sunday service and the parents for dropping the kids off and hanging out with them. That was just a blessing. So uh, it's just fun to see what the kids do. And, you know, Jesus said at one point, out of the mouths of babes, you have ordained praise. So something simple as children who um, put that on and have a simple understanding of God, when we get older as adults, sometimes we complicate it. And it doesn't need to be complicated. Salvation is, is very simple. I want to take a few minutes of your time to just kind of talk about the creation story in general, and then come back to what you saw today in the Christmas story and see where it fits into eternity. So what I'd like to do is maybe even do it in play format. The opening scene, number one, the problem. Well, not the problem yet. Paradise. God created Adam and Eve and uh, set them forth to subdue the earth, to have dominion, to tend the garden, to, you know, they had some simple instructions to populate the earth, and um, things were going good for a little while, and then they uh, sinned. You know, they rebelled against God. They decided to go their own way. Both of them were complicit in that. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is a fact. That includes you and I. Now, if you are struggling with the whole concept of Adam and Eve, uh, two books in the Bible, the first book and the last book, that are being attacked is Genesis and Revelation. However, if you've been for, to Calvary long enough, you know that we go verse by verse through the scripture. So if you stay with us long enough, you'll have gone through the entire Bible. Now, this is interesting because Jesus himself, the Son of God in his own words, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, the Apostle Paul, all, all refer to the veracity of the Genesis account. And some, in the name of so-called Christianity, are attacking Genesis as an allegory. Why would Jesus refer back to Adam himself uh, as a, a real person if it was an allegory? There's a little, you know, as Christians, we need to really understand why we believe what we believe. Do a little research as well. I'm just going to throw a little science in there for those who may not be buying the whole thing. Now, we're going to go back a few thousand years before the telescope and the electron microscope and all that other kind of neat stuff that are relatively recent inventions. But if you go back to Psalm 104, God told us, yeah, I know, the Europeans, my, you know, the Italians, I'm from Italian descent, I don't know what they were thinking, but in the Middle Ages, they weren't reading their Bible, so they had a lot of confused ideas. But going back before them, going back before the time of Christ, God said in Psalm 104 that the universe is expanding. Now, what does science tell us today? The universe is expanding. <laughs> but God said that a long time ago, so they, our scientists weren't original in that thought. Uh, in Psalm 19.6, we know that the Bible tells us that the sun was on a circuit around the galaxies, around the universe. Nothing really is in a fixed point. Even though we, our planets, revolve around the sun, nothing's really fixed in the universe. So... Psalm 19.6 said that, again, we're going back a few thousand years, when the Koran said that the sun retreated into a muddy marsh at the end of the day. The Bible told us in Isaiah 40.22 40, that the earth was round, that it was a sphere. Again, Christopher Columbus had a petition, uh, different monarchs, because some were afraid that if he sailed far enough, the, his ship was going to fall off the edge of the earth. But if they were reading their scripture, if everyone had access to the scripture... 
you would know, again, thousands of years ago, the earth was round. Um, Hinduism told us that the earth was supported by Ganesh, the elephant god, on his back. And you can still see drawings in some uh, homes to that effect. When we, the Bible told us in, uh, let's see, was it Job 26, that the earth was suspended on nothing. It's just out there. Nothing's holding it up. Uh, when we went out and took photographs, when we went out into space and took pictures of the earth, no Ganesh, no Atlas. The Bible said it was, it was going to be that way, and it was. Everything that the Bible said has been uh, true. So let's move on from the Genesis account. The second point here is the impasse. So all, all have sinned. I'll admit that. I'm a sinner. I have to repent. Um, the impasse is Habakkuk 1.13. The prophet says that God's eyes are too pure to look upon wickedness or to behold evil, let alone live eternally with sinners. Now, God cannot be in fellowship with sin. God is perfect. I'm sure all of us, if we've lived long enough, have met someone who thinks that they're perfect, but the truth is there is one that's perfect, and it's God himself. No one can kind of even take a close second on that. So reconciliation on our part, and I'll just use myself as an example, I can't, I can't attain him. You know, I mean, if we really understood, we even read the book of Revelation. On the black and white paper, it talks about the glory of God and the angels, you know, worshiping him and praising him and the elders bowing down before him and taking off their crowns and laying at his feet. So when we really understand how magnificent God really is, I'll tell you, I'm going to be the first one to tell you that I can't get to him on my own merits. So that's the impasse. The solution, a mediator. In the book of Job in chapter 9, when he was going through all these afflictions, he cried out for a mediator. Who will help me? Who will help me plead my case to God? There's, an, there's a problem. There's an impasse here. Right? So this is what happened. Now, when we covered our First Timothy study not long ago, we're still in it, uh, we learned something about Jesus, who was the great mediator, who is the great mediator. Now, you know, if you look up the word mediator or you go to a court or you go to you have a, a problem with your neighbor and they kind of want you to do mediation before you go see the judge and see if everything could be worked out. That's just a person who gets involved, not too involved, tries to listen to you and, and the other side and work something out so it doesn't have to go to court. However, Jesus did something different as a mediator. He actually got personally involved. He interjected himself into the situation. He became the solution for our problem, our sin problem and reconciliation back to God. Now, how many of you have seen the shirts where someone wears a, it's a shirt, it's a t-shirt, and it has like the galaxies and the Milky Way, and, and there's like a little speck on the shirt, and it says, you are here, and there's an arrow pointing to it? I think that's a kind of neat shirt, because we're so small. But you are here. This is where the Christmas play uh, comes into play. This is where the whole thing really has uh, importance. Christmas pageant. The Christmas story. The solution, the nucleus of the solution. Do you realize that the babe in the manger was fully God and fully man? That's a hard one to swallow. If you study Christology, you know, the deeper things of Christianity, Christology is the study of Christ, of the Messiah, what he knew, what he didn't know, what he was capable, what he was not capable of. But if you understand Christology, you understand that even as a young boy at the age of 12 and his parents were headed out, um, he was left behind in the temple teaching. And when they almost went to scold him about, uh, you know, that we were worried about you, and he says, don't you understand I had to be about my father's business. So even as a, a boy, he understood his, his role, his purpose. We all have a purpose in life. Some of our purposes are 
completely understood, and it really gives us encouragement. But imagine Christ, his whole life knowing his purpose was for his life to be cut short. Short. Imagine that. Okay, we put ourselves in that situation. Well, I'm going to die young. My life is going to be taken from me. Not only that, it's not going to be lethal injection or something that goes quickly. It's going to be a, a several hours worth of brutal torture. And, and on top of that, he was going to get the sins of the world, yours, mine, for our whole lifetime, those that went before us, those that come after us. How does that happen? It's almost like I, I think of those um, landfills with the trash, and you see the trucks backing up, and they, they just start, raise, the hydraulics raise up all the trash that's been picked up, and it opens up, and it all comes out. It smells, it's disgusting, it's dirty, there's maggots. Well, it's like a, a truck backed up on Jesus and just opened it up, and all the sins of the world were dumped on him. Now, I'll tell you what, I'm a sinner, and we couldn't die for the sins of someone else because we have sin ourselves. It stains us. But I don't even like my own sin. I certainly want to, wouldn't want to take everybody else's sins upon me as well. That's something that Jesus did. So that's a, let, that, let your mind be wrapped around that for a moment. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. 17. He did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, Christ, the world might be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, and I'm, listen, I'm skipping around in different books. I'm going through different time periods. But what's amazing is I'm going through different languages. That was translated into English. But what's amazing is all God's word, it all lines up. It's in harmony with each other. None of these things contradict another. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, the Father, made him the Son, who knew no sin be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The fourth part, the reconciliation. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, If you, anyone here, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Is that simple? Absolutely. However, understand this. It's not going to happen through our own means. Right? We covered that. John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, you might have come here this morning and said, why did I have to hear all this? You know, I just came to see my niece, my nephew, my grandkids. I just came to see them in a Christmas play. And now I'm confronted with all these scriptures. I'm confronted with something that's actually, you're invading my personal space, Pastor. You're coming into my personal space. This is starting to make me feel uneasy. Because what's happening, if you're feeling that, is you realize you're estranged from the creator who loves you. Sometimes it has to hurt a little bit before it feels better. I'm not here to give anyone a hard time. I'm here to tell you that God loves you, that God has a plan for you, that he has a purpose for you in your life, that you may have come here just looking to see a play, but now you're being hit with God's purpose for you. So just consider that for a moment. Fifth point, the relationship. Now, I want you all to do me a favor, okay? Do me a favor. Don't tell the pastor that you don't have to, tell, don't tell the pastor that you don't have to come to church to be saved, okay? Promise me you'll do that. Just keep it from him. The truth is, you don't have to come to church to be saved. 
God wants a relationship with you, personally. You and he. Hebrews 4 tells us that any time, day or night, if you are in Christ, that he is, he is open to your petitions. How many of you saw the old Batman movies, the old flicks with Adam West, and, you know, Commissioner Gordon had a phone, and Batman had a phone, and when Commissioner Gordon was in trouble, he picked it up, and that red phone would ring, right? What if Batman was out raking the leaves? You know, what if he was having a bathroom break? Something very important wouldn't get to Batman. But the important thing to understand here is, according to the scripture, this is far better than the bat phone. Now, you can be wherever. You can be in dire straits. You could be in a situation where you're being drawn into a temptation or a sin, and you cry out to him. He will pick up that phone. Right? There's never a busy signal when it comes to God. But understand this. You have to make the attempt. He gave you free will. It's your choice whether you want to contact him or not. Understand that. Sixth, the assembling of the saints. What is church for? Hebrews 10, tells, Hebrews 10 tells us not to forsake the assembling of the saints. So what is the purpose of church? Number one, we worship God because he deserves it. Two, as many have, have done before, we enjoy people uh, seeing them come up to the front and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's the day of their spiritual birthday. We all are born once physically, but Jesus said you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. That's a spiritual birth, right? Three, we desire to be built up in the word of God. We want to be matured in his word. And four, we desire then to go out into the world and to give the good news of salvation to everyone because I'm so excited that I'm saved and he saved me from my life of sin and my life of damnation that I want to tell everybody else, well, what do I have to do? Do I have to give you money? No, it's free. It's a free gift. Seven, the closing scene. This is the last scene. This is the happily ever after part. Now, every story has to have a happily ever after part, right? Well, the really neat thing is this is a story, but it's a true story. And it's the best happily ever after that you could ever receive. Did you know, just curious, did you know, in 1 John 5, the disciple John through the leading of the Holy Spirit, tells us that we can have assurance of eternal life in heaven with the Lord and our loved ones that died in Christ forever. That Revelation 21 tells us at that point there will be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Even to the cross, when we come to Jesus, sometimes we bring baggage, and a lot of it is emotional baggage. And sometimes even as a Christian we struggle through some things. But the truth is, when we are going to be in his presence, it's going to be awesome. We won't be carrying any more of that awful baggage. And even Jesus says in Matthew 11 that he wants us to leave our pack, our burdens, at the foot of the cross and take his yoke and his burden because they're easy and they're light. That's his desire for us. Did you know John 10.10? Jesus said that he wants us all, everyone here, now, listen, I've, I've had some that maybe they've been in church for years and then they come to me personally and say, but God, or they say, but God can't want that for me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. You don't know that I've rejected him before. It doesn't matter. Don't let Satan lie to you. He loves you. Every single person here, this is available to you. John 10, 10, Jesus says that he wants us to have life and that life more abundantly, not just be miserable here 
and go to heaven and everything's exciting. He wants us to have that abundant life here as well. He wants us to have the joy of the Lord. It's available to us. Now, if you want, I'll make a copy of this. If you're saying, oh, I don't know, I, you can look it up yourself. When the Apostle Paul went around different parts of the known Roman world, uh, some would say, you know, that sounds pretty fantastic. Um, we're going we're gonna to look up what you're saying, and we're going to talk to you again about this matter. It happened many times to him. I'm telling you the same thing. Look it up. I'll give you the scriptures. And then apply it to your own life, because God wants it for you. I know. Out of the billions of people, do we have 8 billion now on the planet? How could he possibly? Trust me, God's a good multitasker, okay? <laughs> he can, he's, he's got it all under control. He's paying attention to everything that's going on. And he can hear you when you cry out to him, even in your heart. So at this point, what I'd like to do is, as we close and we go and we fellowship and we see our kids and our grandkids and our nieces and nephews, I just want to throw some things out at you. We're celebrating the birth of Christ. When Christ uh, matured in his human form and he, you know, started to, he, you know, he was sinless from day one, he started to teach. He started to give us the truths, the truth of what God says. He said, you must be born again. He said that, and, and even this great, this great religious leader, brilliant man, and Jesus says, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? Well, let me explain it to you anyway. The, the religious leader, Nicodemus, says to him, well, how can I enter my, my mother's womb a second time? How can that be possible? And Jesus said, it's not that type of birth. It's a spiritual birth. And he says, you know, when you look at this, you know what I love about Jesus? If we were to walk with him, he would just take, he would probably take us outside and point to the leaves. He would point to the children playing. And he would turn something simple that we could understand into a spiritual truth. That was the beauty of what Jesus did. He was a master. Right? Beauty of what he did in the parables. So what he did was, and I could just picture Jesus taking Nicodemus outside and pointing to the tree, and he said, you see, the wind blows where it wishes. You don't know where, because the wind doesn't leave tracers. You don't know where it comes from and where it's going, but you see the effects of the wind as the tree and the branches were swaying in the wind and the leaves were blowing. He says, such is with the Holy Spirit. Trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God fills us with a part of him as in the Holy Spirit. I can tell you now that I'm saved. I can tell you about approximately how many years I've been saved. I can't tell you the exact day or the hour that I was saved. I just know all of a sudden I was different. And those of you who have been born again understand that. Please, that word has been, born again has been butchered. You know, I, I don't, if someone asks me, are you born again? I actually don't give a yes or no response. I explain what it means because of the butchery. And that's what Satan loves to do. He loves to take the hypocrisy of the church and, and have people get turned off by it. But born again is a beautiful thing. It's being born again of the Spirit. So, as Pastor Paul plays, what I would like to ask you is consider this. It isn't the day, oh, you know, some will come to me and say, December 25th? Well, that was the winter solstice. And listen, I really don't care what day it was. It isn't the day that it happened that was important. It was that it happened which makes it important. I'm not going to haggle over the date and the hour that Jesus was born, but I'm going to tell you that he was born. So I would just ask while, the, while Paul plays that if there's anybody here who, you know, you're, you're moved. 
It isn't me. I'm no great orator. You're moved by the word and by the scripture and by the Holy Spirit. And if that's what you've experienced for the last eight or nine minutes, I would ask you to come forward and receive of his goodness and his love. He wants you. He wants to lay a hold of you. He wants to, to, to take you in his arms. He wants to walk with you. He wants to teach you. And he wants you to be in his heaven for eternity. But you have a part to play in that, and you have to lay down your will and want that. So if that is your desire, I would ask you to come up. What a better time than on the day we celebrate his birthday, that you would celebrate your spiritual birthday. You come forward if that's your desire.